0: This week's edition of Romaniacs is brought to you by Tide, the nimble small business banking service. Do you run a small business? If you do, then you know that simply running the show takes all your time and energy and banks don't help. It takes weeks to set up an account. There's loads of unjustified fees. They're so slow and they're not built for small businesses. Tide is a new kind of service designed to save your small business time and money. You can sign up in just three minutes and get a UK sort code and a commercial mastercard. You'll get brilliant features, including an automatic assistant that chases your invoices for you integration with major bookkeeping and foreign exchange software and customer service by instant messenger. Best of all, there are no monthly fees ever. Tide is small business banking the way it ought to be. And we've got a special offer for Romaniacs listeners. Tide is offering six months of free transfers. So that's no monthly fee ever, plus free transfers for six months. Just go to tide.co, no need for the UK, and use the promo code RPOD. After your six months ends, you'll move to a pay-as-you-go Tide account, charging only 20p per transaction. So it's farewell to monthly fees, the bane of a small business. And more time for you to concentrate on building your company. Visit Tide.co and use the promo code RPOD.
1: Welcome to another edition of Romaniacs, the podcast for all Brussels' fifth columnists, quizlings and steadfast Brexit deniers. Come on in, the treachery's lovely. My (laughs) name's Peter Collins and I'm joined by two of our regular co-presenters. First, Roz Taylor is the editor of democraticaudit.com, also works at the LSE. Hello, Roz, welcome back. Hello. It's been a couple of months, I think, since you last appeared on the show, uh, in which time we've seen Labour refuse to debate Brexit in their conference and Boris Johnson and co undermined Theresa May throughout her party conference are you feeling
2: more or less
1: optimistic about uh, uh, us getting through this period now?
2: I'm feeling a lot more optimistic I was at my son's harvest assembly this morning and uh, he was singing a great song about a big red combine harvester place was full of food, all this stuff that Chris Grayling keeps telling us about how we're going to grow all our own food post Brexit (laughs) I was feeling very positive about it and uh, yeah it looks great no seriously, I think uh, I am feeling more positive because I think the hard-line levers now have pushed what what people call the Overton window the sort of the the window of possibility of what's thinkable in politics they've been trying to push it wider and wider it's got bigger and bigger we've now got to the stage where they're saying it's okay to have a no deal and I think the Overton window is now so far open it's on its hinges, it's about to fall off. We just can't go any further, and that's why I'm optimistic.
1: Also with us is our man with his finger on the fading pulse of Brexit, Ian Dunt, <laughs> editor of politics.co.uk. Hello, Ian. Now, you're pretty much here every week. Are you getting more optimistic or pessimistic, or is it just that taking part in Romaniacs is doing your editing? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, I don't know, because it's so... Language itself, political language, has just been stretched to the absolute limits of what could be considered even remotely meaningful. That you sort of It sort of really says more about what mood you're in when you get out of bed than it does about the actual progress of Brexit talks, how optimistic you're feeling.
1: Also with us today, we have a special guest. Mitch Ben, is a familiar voice on radio and television, flying the flag for musically accompanied comedy. Uh, he's also seemingly on constant tour and is in the middle of Don't Fear the Reaper tour for 2017. Right. Yes, uh, yes. How, how much longer have you got to go in this tour?
4: Ah, that's touring until Christmas and then I've got a new tour starting in January. Which is called the first, uh, the first of many farewell tours. It's the name of my gentleman. Yes, um, so, which may or may not be a joke. I'll have to see how I get now. Feel my time. I get to this time next year. Uh, obviously, I've, there's there's about five minutes of screaming about Brexit. And I would not get far to say it's material. It's not material. It's just screaming um, <laughs> in, 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 in the new show. And um, yeah, by and large, it seems to be met with sort of you know, enthusiastic consensus and the occasional frosty stare. I know there was that story last year, not even, was it? Mark out A few months ago anyway, when uh, it went around saying all these London comics have all got their Brexit rants and the minute they're outside London, the audience is all getting up and leaving... I was not, was not what's happening to me. But then a lot of the comics that they quoted, the guys off the telly were probably playing, like, you know, 2000 seat theater theatres and everything. And, and also the thing is, if you're on TV, people come and see you without necessarily really knowing what it is you do. You're just on TV. I mean, if people come and see me, there's, there's a, a degree of expectation that they know what I'm up to. You know, so if, you have, if, if you've paid any attention to me online, my views on Brexit are not going to come as any surprise to you once you hear me actually say them out loud.
1: I so. see that the, la- is it la- correct, that the last date on your current tour. Yes. Chipping Norton, it is. home of a certain former prime home, minister. Home Will you be of... inviting that certain former prime minister, his wel- coterie, to come along? He's welcome to turn up if he wants. Uh, he's not getting on the door.
4: He's paying. Uh, he's, <laughs> Very he was, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah these, you, know, I don't, you know, but, but um, I, I think he'll he'll probably quite like the rest of it.
1: <laughs> do, do you ever get? I don't, I don't name him in this. But do you, you get know. politicians? you spot them in the audience, and you suddenly feel that you've got to? Kind the of go only for
4: time, the only time, weirdly, uh, I was at school with Evan Harris, uh, who is currently kind of the legal guy for the Hacked Off campaign, but was a Liberal Democrat MP for Oxford until 2010, uh, and there was one show that my band did a long time ago it was 2004 i remember because it was the night george bush got re-elected it was the uh, the night of that presidential election happy day yeah exactly well, well everything's relative isn't it <laughs> um <laughs> and we would play the hundred club with my band and Evan and enough the liberal democrat front bench turned up to that one which is a bit weird that was back when the liberal democrats had a front bench of course you know that that, that was quite interesting Around about the same time, before it all went a bit wrong between the BBC and the Labour Party, around the time of the Hatton Report, um, they used to have, like, receptions, BBC receptions at the party conferences, and they'd send somebody from, usually from radio comedy, to do a turn, so some years it'd be the Dead Ringers guys, and some years it'd be us. So I've actually been to all the but a lot. We're well, good about fifteen years ago now, but I've been to all the party conferences at some point. So and obviously then the the, the place was full. Actually, when we did Labour, they weren't they weren't there. It was just like the um like the staff. You know what I mean? It wasn't actually them. <laughs> Weirdly, the Tories are far easier audience to play, and this is something because you know, growing up in Liverpool, spent most of my formative years in Scotland, then working for the BBC for ten years. I don't meet a lot of conservatives. It's, you you just don't meet them. And one of the fascinating things was suddenly finding myself in a building full of them. It was both. Pleasing and disturbing to find how seriously they didn't take it all. Hmm. <laughs> they really didn't take it that seriously. And suddenly I realise it's just another gentlemanly pursuit, hmm. isn't it? It's hunting, shooting, <laughs> fishing and legislating. And it's like the only job that guys of a certain social background are actually allowed to have. Is going into politics. But it also yeah, makes yeah. it
3: easier to be friends with them because there is that sort of thing of like at the end you just put the politics to one side and go. Yeah. Oh no, but it's all right, old boy.
4: We have a drink, oh yeah, which yeah, you yeah, really yeah. can't do. without can disagreement
3: with the Labour. Person, no, exactly. You know, no, because, that is yeah. to the death.
4: Well, this is the thing. One of the things I've been writing about in, in the New European is you know my my increasing disillusion with the whole concept of left and right. The fact I think it's actually all a bit outdated now. I think it it doesn't actually refer to anything more tangible than the seating plan in the post revolutionary parliament in Paris. Anyway, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's what left and right actually refers to. And 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 I don't really think that. The divide is between left and right anymore. I think the divide is between fantasy and reality.
2: You're I not think, a centrist, Dad,
4: are you? Uh, <laughs> Owen would probably call me that, except I think he's muted me uh, because he doesn't reply so to he, does. he doesn't reply to me on Twitter anymore. Um, his pals reply to me; he doesn't. Um, yeah, I'm loving the idea of centrist being hurled around as an insult. You know, okay, I'm a radical centrist. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm militantly reasonable. Bite me. <laughs> 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 I'm ardent in my devotion to being rational. Suck it up. Yeah, you know, what, what are you waiting for me to apologise with? It? It's, 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 it's 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 crazy, isn't it? Like this somehow being reasonable now, we are thinking stuff through and not just waving your flag a bit harder when your your views get questioned. Has somehow become. Utre, you know some are becoming, you know, oh, these these people going around thinking stuff. It's, it's exactly it's, all it is, right? I'll tell you what it is: it's the left wing version when they started to use liberal intellectual as an insult back in the nineties, when the right wing started using liberal intellectual as an insult. All these liberal intellect, yeah, because what the world really needs is more mean, stupid people. <laughs> if you look around the planet, it's immediately apparent there just aren't enough mean, stupid people. Edward rant. talk to somebody else. Sorry. <laughs>
1: Well, later on in the show, we'll be talking further with Mitch about comedy, the BBC, Brexit and all sorts of other stuff. And with implementation phases in the air, Ian will be presenting your handy guide to transition. It worked for Bruce Jenner, can it work for Britain? <laughs> but before that, let Ros remind you of a few important X matters.
2: Firstly, a gentle reminder that you can help us expand the Romaniacs show and spread the word by supporting us on the crowdfunding platform, Patreon. Make a small monthly contribution and you can get smart Romaniacs mugs, T-shirts and bags. You'll be helping us to develop live shows and video too, and to generally be a troublesome thorn in the paw of Boris Johnson's fake wheezing British lion. (laughs) You can find the link at Romaniacs.com. If you enjoy the show, please do subscribe via Apple Podcasts, either on your phone or via the iTunes Music Store, and leave us a friendly review while you're there or else. All the links are at Romaniacs.com. And thirdly, next week, we're doing something a bit different on the show, Romaniacs Book Club. Every now and again, we're going to choose a book or longish article that is especially pertinent to Brexit and discuss it on the show. Next week, we're going to talk about George Orwell's Notes on Nationalism, his famous essay from 1945, which is eerily prescient about the world in 2017. So dig into your old student bookshelves and reread it, or read for the first time, and tweet us your thoughts at Romaniacscast on Twitter.
3: It's so pathetically predictable, by the way, that our first book is like, oh, is it Orwell?
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Who'd
3: have thought that that would be...
0: (laughs) Yeah, but the next one's a Katie Price sort of (laughs) of (laughs) one.
2: That's George Orwell's (laughs) note on nationalism. He's our favourite Blair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nicely done. So let's go to the Fucha. news yeah. uh, Firstly, it's finally official, Britain's voted itself poorer, or at least that's what a report from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD said this week, that's the OECD which is a kind of international think tank, in its first report on the British economy since the referendum, the OECD confirmed that the economy will grow markedly more slowly in 2017 than it did in previous years and to the annoyance of Brexiteers it pointed out that reversing or cancelling Brexit would give the British economy a boost. As if to add insult to injury, the report was presented in London by the OECD's Secretary-General, Ángel Gurria, alongside Brexiteers' enemy number one, Chancellor Philip Hammond, the man with the target on his back. This came alongside news that inflation has hit a five-year high, in large part because of the post-referendum droop in the pound, whereas uh, with the Consumer Prices Index at 3%, uh, it's highest since 2012, whereas average earnings are now growing only at 2.2%. So to Ian first, is is there anyone left who is surprised by the economy weakening?
3: Not of the people who've bothered to stay, you know, sane and rational and to follow these things. But, of course, the, our whole problem is not that people are coming to different conclusions on data. It's that a bunch of people have just decided that reason and don't data... don't data do, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, does, yeah. it doesn't matter. So, so this isn't really our issue. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, you know, you noticed that you could tell quite a lot about that response by the kickback it got. The kickback was not challenging the data. It was not challenging the conclusions. It was to say, look, this is an EU-funded body. It is therefore obviously fundamentally corrupt and just doing what it's paymasters in Brussels are telling it to do, which is actually, funny enough, one of the more sophisticated types of Brexiter arguments, because the really, the, the bog standard one that you mostly hear is just believe harder. You know, that's what you're talking just believe harder, believe harder, let's get rid of everyone who isn't, you know, a leaver. Even they start to question, you know, those who, who are now leavers like Theresa May, but voted Remain before. And to just say, take it as an article of faith, question nothing. This at least takes us back to the good old days of immediately after the referendum, when instead of just demanding you believe harder, they said well let's question the integrity of anyone who doesn't believe in us. So look, it's a marginally more sophisticated argument than the one that we're used to, but nowhere near the kind of thing where people might be evaluating data and coming to conclusions on the basis of it.
2: Yeah, the problem problem with the OECD stuff though is that it was very much harking back and it will do in most people's minds, to the Remain campaign, and it's every British household is going to lose X number of pounds per Week uh, with a picture of a supermarket trolley uh, that we all saw and and yeah. and just failed. The fact is, people don't believe this stuff because everyone believes they're exceptional. It's like in America, no one no one thinks they're they're working or lower class. They all think they're middle class. It, it, every, in everyone, America, you're
4: not allowed to think you're poor. You have to think you're not rich yet.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why when you're told that your household will lose a certain amount of pounds, no, yours won't because you work harder than everyone else does. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just this this did not work before. And sadly, although you know, I I think this warning that the OECD was absolutely right, it will go unheard.
1: Mitch, do you think people ever really engaged in the referendum with the idea that it would have consequences for them? Or did anybody on the, who voted to leave actually think, I'm going to leave even though I will be poorer because I want freedom? Well, some of them are saying that now. Uh, some of them
4: literally are saying that now. They're answering like survey questions. That would you still agree with exiting the European Union, even if members of your family lose their jobs? And some of them are actually saying, yes, yes, I would. Now, to what extent they actually mean that? Or how, how much of that is just furiously sticking to your guns in the face of all reason and evidence? So, Who knows? Can we, um, if, if we stop looking at like the sort of the
3: PR effect of it and just yeah. actually look at the, the data that they presented, yeah. it's a really quite bleak picture that they're painting. So they're talking about UK GDP slowing compared with the EU and with the rest of the developed world, share prices of uh, UK-focused companies underperforming. They were showing that the fall in sterling hadn't led to a boost in exports, that um, higher inflation was obviously leading to lower incomes. And that actually, this is actually, I thought, a very interesting bit, that the regions of this country, i.e. the places that aren't London and the southeast, which are famously very poor with productivity in the economy, are the ones that are going to suffer most from Brexit because they're the ones that are most reliant on EU funds. Now, regardless of how people take the report itself, that paints a picture of a very bleak 18 months ahead of us now as we go into the, the, the kind of period where stuff could be changed around Brexit. I accept this argument that none of the Remain stuff worked during the campaign. However, I don't think that that's because people stopped caring about their economic fortunes. I think it's because people stopped believing the people that were telling it to them. And if the reality of this comes through to people's wallets, and at the moment it is, they're literally getting poorer every day, we may be able to rebuild some confidence in an economic narrative that goes around. So I don't think we should give up all, all hope of that just yet. You know you have to keep hope of that because otherwise all you've got is just us impovering ourselves over and over and over again without any glimmer of a political response to it
1: and of course the the OECD also has a chunk where it points out how much even worse it will be in an Odeal situation, you know mm. another downgrade for uk sovereign debt which means um, higher cost of borrowing which means less public money to spend on other things business investments seizing up private consumption choking off another slump in the pound etc etc and you know as we as we've seen a no deal Brexit is not is back on the table again so so it yeah. could get a lot worse and it would be you know it will be depressing but interesting to see how people start to rethink um you know, once it really well, does hit home to them. If own. people start to rethink, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. You
4: know, I mean, it's, it's it's extraordinary already the level of denial that we're seeing. And it's become, you see, the weird thing, before I sort of got sucked into this, I spent most of my time on Twitter um, arguing with religious loonies. That was my big bad habit. And i got a whole French show out of that as well, so fair you enough. Know. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but what I'm discovering is it's exactly the same arguing with the leavers as it is arguing with religious zealots it's become faith it's become an mm-hmm. article of faith mm-hmm. and that's why hammond is being decried as a heretic because he's dared to express doubts that it's all going to be marvelous and that's why chris grayling is literally being put on tv just to say it's all going to be marvelous mm-hmm. and 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 oh, and we going and in this this ludicrous of Tinkerbell principle, you know, it's all going to be alright if we all just clasp hands and believe. I can't you know? think of a less convincing person to deliver that
3: message than Chris Grayling, who looks like his face is deteriorating before your eyes <laughs> as, as he speaks. He looks
1: like a walking zombie. It's yeah.
4: bizarre why they would picked him.
1: Uh, the, uh, the only man available for the job, I think, was the probably in serious question. This
4: generation's William Waldergrave. He's the one they don't like who they send out to do all the jobs nobody else works.
1: <laughs> so let's move on to the second news topic of the week, uh, which was Theresa May flying off to Brussels to sort it all out, allegedly. <laughs> uh, frustrated by the deadlocked Brexit negotiations, the Prime Minister decided to bring the enormous weight of her authority to bear in a bid to open talks on a transition period. She spoke to the French President, Emmanuel Macron, the Irish t. Leo Varadkar and had dinner in Brussels with Michel Barnier and Jean Claude Juncker. I would have loved to have been the butler at that dinner listening <laughs> It would be cruel, wouldn't it? And she came home apparently with very little. Uh, the EU leaders merely re emphasised that the divorce deal has to be done before they can talk about either a transition period or Britain's eventual trade relationship with the EU. Meanwhile, back home, a crossbench group of MPs, including Dominic Grieve and Kenneth Clark and other leading Conservative ex-ministers, are tabling amendments to prevent the infamous no-deal Brexit, further weakening Mrs May's position and also undermining uh, the UK's hardline negotiating approach. So, Ross, first, there's this summit on Friday after we've recorded the pro- the podcast at which the EU leaders, the, t- the 27 remaining EU countries, will meet – I, there's been this talk of a of a sort of uh, a classic Euro fudge in the air that you know they they say no more no talks on the transition no talk, talks on trade but there'll be kind of talks about talks in the background. Do you think that's possible?
2: Yeah, it's possible. Um, I think the problem is that Angela Merkel is now very preoccupied because um, for those listeners who follow German politics, you'll know all about this. Uh, for, for anybody else, um, it's um, <laughs> she's just just about won an election but didn't do nearly as well as she hoped and now she has to form a coalition it will take about 10 weeks of talks before she's finished uh, forming coalition optimistically And this is the time in which, according to uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, we're going to accelerate negotiations. So this is obviously going to be difficult because her mind will be elsewhere, just as Theresa May's mind was elsewhere when she was trying to get together a deal with the DUP and plug them a billion to, you know, to to work with her. Um, And because Germany is so key to getting a deal... We really need Angela Merkel's attention, and we won't have it.
1: Likewise, Macron—he had this huge wave of publicity. He's now he's now trying to push through very controversial reforms, and therefore is losing popularity. What keeps getting forgotten forgotten in all this is that the other EU countries have politics too. It's not that they're just sitting there being mm. awkward for the sake mm. of it. They have their own. They're all elected politicians. They have their own politics to deal with when they get back home, and they you know that quite often. Um, even if all the best will in the world to be more reasonable in the in the Brexit talks, they've got their own politics to think about. For instance, in Germany, this idea, the, 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 the idea in the German parliament that they're terrified of signing up more German taxpayers' money for anything. And, of course, the less Britain pays in the Brexit settlement, the more Germany will pay. And that's going to affect German politics.
2: Yeah, they want to maintain a line. And so far, they have done so pretty well. Um I mean, that, yes, there might be talks and there might be, you know, an Eastern European prime minister who sounds sympathetic. I believe someone, uh, a foreign minister, one of Boris Johnson's counterparts, went on a nice row with him at the weekend <laughs> uh, in, a, in a rowing boat. And the other said no, but one of them said yes. And it all went. It was great, apparently. Uh, but, you know, they can talk all they like. But I'm they're holding, the line. <laughs> <laughs> they're holding the line um, for the moment.
1: So do we think this... Conspiracy, which we obviously would love to encourage, of the pro remain majority in Parliament. Let's remind everybody yet again that on the both main parties, the backbenches, the majority of MPs. Are pro Remain. It's just the leadership that's the problem. Well, the
4: leadership of, of the Tory Party are actually, by inclination, pro Remain. They're just pretending not to be, which, much like Hal in 2010, is sending them crazy. Uh, you know, they are they try, they're trying to maintain two opinions at the same time, but it's frying their brains. But, but yes, you're right. It's only the, the bulk of the house is absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, do we, do we think that we, there's any possibility? You know, we've been saying, "Come on, get, come on, rebel!" For goodness' sake, for weeks now, and nothing much has. Happened. Happen on either side. Do you think, Ian? You know, you're in Parliament every day. What, what, what's going to happen? Are they going to come forward and, for instance, put down a motion that we won't have a no deal without another referendum that allows us to you stay?
3: I don't know how I feel about this idea that, that the Parliament's basically pro remain because it it presumes that MPs have functioning, independent minds. And that's not the case. And it, I mean, that never has... You know, you talk to... Loads of them voted Remain because they just thought, that's the way that this is going. You know, you had David Cameron there. That was the way. That's the way to protect my career and all of that. And then they switched. And, you know, you talk to people in constituencies whose MP voted Remain and then suddenly was extremely disparaging towards Remain voters. And they'd be like, I just can't in some ways acting this way. And you think because he has no real convictions to speak of. What he did was what he thought was best for his own personal career. And, and now he's continuing to do exactly that. However... There are probably, you know, about sort of 50 thinking human beings in the Conservative Party, in in the Parliamentary Conservative Party, and you are now starting to see some kind of movement. We've spoken an awful lot about a lack of backbone and lack of steel from Tory rebels. Things have been looking up a little bit. You look at some of those amendments, you know, you're seeing names that you would expect to see and you know, a few other people who've been keeping their you know, powder dry coming forward and coming up with, some, I think, some pretty intelligent stuff in some of these amendments, some of them better than others. I think probably at some point we'll, we'll do a proper assessment of them. But you know, there is something going on there and you can now get a glimmer of, you know, back, back even before the, the election, people would sit down for coffee or something with Dominic Grieve and, and they'd be encouraging him to say something critical of Theresa May and he wouldn't do it. He would keep on saying, oh, I think the, the policy is great. We're doing really well right now. And you think, well, that's very strange that you should say that because other people who have completely opposing viewpoints say exactly the same thing about what you're saying. And that was all stay inside the tent. Stay inside the tent, whatever you do. Now, I think he's stayed rather too far inside of that tent. I think he's rather shackled himself to the structures of it. Nevertheless, we are starting to see now glimmers of the kind of functional things
1: that people like him think they can achieve via these amendments, and some of it's pretty smart. Jeremy Corbyn is the next, though, just before we wrap up this bit. (laughs) He has finally, finally confirmed that he would vote remain in a second referendum. However, the bit that disappointed me is that he prefaced that by saying there isn't going to be another referendum. I'd rather he was just a bit vaguer about that. What do you think? mm. Of course...
2: Of course he'd he vote Remain another referendum. There isn't going to be one, but uh, of course he would because uh, he's hoping to be a Prime Minister by next year and he doesn't want to screw up the country by going for a hard Brexit. He wants to just go for a relatively soft Brexit because that's what's going to ensure he stays in power. So from that point of view, uh, I mean, it's a signal to say I'm not I'm not going with the hardline uh, Tory Brexiteers.
4: That's not where he is ideologically, though. It's never where he been no. ideologically. No, um, I
2: don't believe he it, voted it, Remain to start with. No, but absolutely. That's
4: not I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I would bet Body parts that he, he and John, well, he and John, he and John, uh, he, he and John McDonald belong to that 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 wing of the Labour Party that regard the EU as a, basically a capitalist cartel that's an obstruction to proper you know collectivisation and, and which as i pointed out is kind of weird considering they've got far better socialism on the continent than we've ever had here. Mm. Um, but that's you know it's I, 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 yeah, yeah well power first principle yeah, yeah well exactly yeah it's good to be. Give me have a man of principle, a you know, man of conviction ahead of the Labour Party. After all, those slippy, slippery Blairite pragmatists. But, um,
3: you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Labour position continues to shift. I think, and yeah. you know that that was a strange moment because lots of Labour frontbenchers have been quite specifically not ruling out a second referendum throughout mm-hmm. their sort of conference thing. And then, of course, Corbyn does this thing and he says it. But if you look at that video, he sort of says. He, he, it doesn't look like he's really thinking about it. He says, well, look, I don't think there isn't going to be a second referendum, but, yeah. you know, if there was... So I, I wouldn't put too much sort of emphasis on it. I think there's, there's still a glimmer of hope there for where Labour is. Look, with all of this stuff, I mean, we've got to come to the conclusion now. They're not going to lead on this. They're going to follow. And if yeah. we can demonstrate a change and the change is happening, I think the Labour position will shift along with it. No, mm-hmm. yeah. nothing you're so for...
1: right. So that's my energy company saying, please send me your meter reading. But let's ignore <laughs> that for now. Uh... <laughs> Finally, in our news belt this week, uh, some common sense on the Brexit front with two titans of British politics discussing the manner, the matter rather, in the big issue this week. Alan Partridge and Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it discuss Brexit in a special edition of the magazine edited by Armando Iannucci. Of course, we urge you to go out and buy your own copy. It's only two pounds fifty after all. But uh, here are a couple of highlights. First of all, um, Tucker telling Partridge Brexit's idiotic. I'm not going to do the impression. Don't worry. Do you want me to do the impression? You do the impression if you like. You go look at it? Yeah, you, know, you read it. Yes. Brexit's
4: idiotic. <laughs> it's more like committing suicide by walking into a door over and over again for <laughs> years. Leavers are imbeciles.
1: And then Partridge
4: retorts. Oh, blimey, can I do Partridge? Oh, I see. Um, um, reports the teenagers in Guardian read. Nah, no, come on, I can't do Partridge. You take a straight from the 1942 film, Went the Day Well, about Nazis capturing a British village. Says the village has busted up all that plucky British spunk and machine gun to beat the Nazis to death. I think the postmaster put a spade through a German's head. That's I that's not surprisingly good. not of attitude to get this country back on his feet. Yes. That's How fortunate that Armando writes them
1: both. <laughs> well, thank God we've got the big thinkers on yes, the case. Absolutely. You'd assume that Alan Partridge would be... A lever. Although he's casting doubt, if you read this article in the big issue, he's <laughs> casting doubt on that. At what? Uh, trying to sort of dodge the question. Yeah. Malcolm Tucker, is he a Remainer or is he too misanthropic to be a Remainer? Mm. We feel we know these people. What? What? Where would they vote? Do you think?
4: Well, Malcolm Tucker is Alistair Campbell, who is a Remainer. So yes. Um, <laughs> um, that's fairly straightforward. There is an interesting <laughs> thing, though, isn't there? people always bring up
3: this thing of you were talking earlier about lack of figureheads. Yeah. And all the figureheads that stood up we're all people at the end of their political career. You know, yeah. it was like Nick Clegg and it was Tony Blair and, it, you know. Was, Clark and yeah, Right. Yeah. And, and so you sort of, well, it's interesting. Because, I mean, that could either be a coincidence or it could be a statement of the fact that they don't have to make those compromises with their convictions. And whereas a lot of other people, and it's perfectly possible that a Blair, who who, who typically would always look at things and go, where is the middle ground yeah. in all of this, probably wouldn't have been saying in power, we need to, re, you know, reverse this. He probably have been saying, we need to find some kind of, you know, compromise, single yeah. market. Kind of thing that would have been the third the third way in, in that kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So I don't I'm not so sure that Tucker, if he is you know that kind of camp, uh, that archetype, would have necessarily been a Remainer right now. I suspect that they would have been some kind of compromised soft, soft Brexiter.
2: I know in terms of character, you see, I associate levers with a certain sort of laid back insouciance of sort of <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I mean, I'm not obviously thinking David Davis here or um, but but you know that 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 confidence that it's all going to be fine. Now we don't see that in Malcolm Tucker. It's, 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 so in terms of you know purely personality based politics, then yeah, I, I would say he's a he's a remainer.
1: Anyway, so let's move on back to our interview with our star guest this oh week, Brian. Mitch Ben. You've heard him a few times already, a stalwart of Radio and Club Comedy. And, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. leader of Mitch Ben <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. as well as the leader of Mitch Ben and the Distractions. Mm-hmm. Currently touring the UK with the Don't Fear the Reaper tour, mm-hmm. a meditative on mortality, misery, personal turmoil, and the terrors of middle age. With Tell me
4: about it. Hilarious consequences, indeed. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> it's just well, I, I you know, the, the, what I do these days is I, I, I go to Edinburgh, and by the time I get back from Edinburgh, I've got a show that I can take on the road, and so the next year I take it on the road, and that's kind of how it works. So this is a, an extended version of my 2016 tour, and um, death and mortality is very much on everybody's mind in 2016 tour, particularly because you yeah, know the sort of weird chain reaction whereby everybody who's got famous in the 60s and 70s suddenly started dropping dead in in, in rapid succession um and then uh, things actually sort of got a bit personal for me towards the end of the year, and that's what the the rest of the show is about. It takes it all a little more personal turn at the end. But you know, it's the one thing in life that absolutely unites everybody, and yet yeah, nobody really wants to talk about it. Never mind crack jokes about it and sing songs about it. So I figured I would. So,
1: so you on your Twitter feed, you get a lot of crap sometimes from yeah. people about being a Remainer. I love it. Uh, do, do, you, <laughs> do you do you love it all? Do you, does any of it get to you? Do you does any of it, do you ever feel that you know it's this is going too far?
4: I have an advantage, I'll be honest, in that I'm a bloke and they're never as nasty to the blokes as they are to the women. That is true. They always find far nastier things to say to the women than they do to the blokes. And also, I am a bloke and I'm a big bloke and I'm very difficult to intimidate. And by and large, the people who are actually coming to get you don't tell you. So... You know, I mean, And that's not me saying everybody who's logged off Twitter in the face of abuse is some kind of panty waste. Far from it. You know what I mean? Um, I absolutely understand the people. And, and Twitter, you know, certain bits of Twitter haven't gotten pretty toxic just recently. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally fairly good at writing it out. But and one of, here's the thing. On the one hand, this is incredibly important to me. And I went on a sort of a, a, a fairly epic sort of 25-tweet thread rant a few months ago, where I just lost my patience with sort of the legalities of everything. And it's like, I don't care about the will of the people. I don't care. This is just stupid and wrong, and I'm not going to stop saying that. I'm instinctively a pro-European person. I did languages at university. I've lived in various different countries in Europe. You know, and Theresa May could sod off with that. never really felt it. Well, some of us have. Some, You know, and maybe the... Piss-blooded misanthropes haven't, but some of us have felt perfectly at home in Europe. Some of us are perfectly okay with the idea of Britain being a member of a club of nations, which, let's face it, that's what's at the heart of all of this, is there is a whole culture within, particularly conservative politics in this country, that cannot let go of the empire. It cannot handle the idea of Britain being one of a group of equals. That just makes their skin crawl, the idea that we are... On a level, begging with all these Johnny foreigners, they just genuinely cannot be relaxed around that, and that's what's at the heart of conservative europhobia, and always has been. I think it's, it's, it's that inability to let go of empire. So it. Anyway. Sorry, on a, more, slight,
1: <laughs> yeah. on a slightly more cheerful note, really, uh, you're, you're yeah. the master of the topical pop song. Oh, cool. uh, does yeah. Brexit lend itself to the pop, pop comedy treatment? I've hint, written, hint. Pick up your instrument. I've written
4: a few, <laughs> but I mean, it occurred to me that they were all kind of event specific. I wrote an article 51 uh, on an article 50 day, and I thought that's a bit passé. Is that what's it? Is? This is great. We've never had this before. This, this is. So I'm been trying to. Write, I'm basically trying it, to write this. Quietly in my head while you guys have been talking. Yeah, I'll do. All right, okay. Just keep believing in Brexit Reject those who snare and who scoff The loud grounding sound means we're gathering speed It isn't the wheels coming off (laughs) Hang on. Just keep believing in Brexit Banish all doubt from your mind They've suppressed that report, cause the future's so bright, if we read it, we might all go blind. <laughs> Just keep believing in Brexit. Just screw up your eyes and believe. Don't check out the facts and the figures. Reality seeks to deceive. Just keep believing in Brexit. As data is for saboteurs. We might fall in the sea, but at least we'll be free, cause we're British, whatever occurs. I shall clean that up and get it up on the internet in due course yes.
5: <laughs>
4: Excellent,
1: excellent <Thank> stuff <laughs> So finally we're we'll going to throw you a very, very serious question Uh-oh. is there a, Can you imagine now anything good coming out of Brexit even in the longest run, given how, what the mess we're in now?
4: No, because what we're giving up inherently is bad this is the conversation I was having a couple of days ago. just you know, and and thanks, I, I you know, I, I said I know more what want to see a you know I know more what long for a successful Brexit than I long to you know succeed in slamming my balls in the car door. You know, it's it's just it's 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 it's, it's, it's bad in and of itself. Just the amount of it, it, just 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 severing the kind of cultural ties that we're talking about. Just just the psychological effect of deciding we don't want to be in a family of nations. We want to be this mean little island. That's bad anyway, whatever the economic ramifications of it are. And also on a broader scale, fracturing the European alliance at the precise moment that Russia is reasserting itself and trying to reestablish the Soviet Union, chipping off little bits of other you know, it is no coincidence that the world is currently full of secessionist and separatist movements. Just as Russia's getting bigger. Everybody's getting smaller they're getting bigger. This is not a coincidence. But, hey, um, and so I, do, I think it's just inherently a bad thing. It, it, the only thing will be, that would possibly convince me otherwise is if there were enormous
1: economic and social benefits to be reaped. And there aren't. Well, we can sell more missiles to the Saudis, Saudis <laughs> can't we? I mean, it's, you know, we? We strike a freer trade deal with them. You what
4: know. could possibly... A,
1: no, no, it's... it's uh, oh, no, and
4: uh, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, all the sort of the, the things which have been proposed to... Oh, no, it'll be OK because that doesn't make it OK. Really, that doesn't make it OK. Mm. Ross,
2: Let's relax for a moment with a quick commercial break. We're <laughs> delighted to have support from this week's uh, show from a book by an actual high-profile Remainer. Virgin magnate and prominent beard owner Sir Richard Branson's new autobiography, Finding My Virginity, hopefully more fun than losing it, is out now audio audiobook from Penguin Random House Audio. And our producer, Andrew Harrison, has been listening. Andrew, what's it like?
5: Well, it's essentially part two of Branson's life after losing my virginity. It's from 1999 onwards, so it's Virgin Mobile, Virgin Media, Virgin Active, the vexed question of Virgin Trains, and Virgin Galactic. Uh, he meets Nelson Mandela and Al Gore, and he fights with Donald Trump. Um, you know, his house on Necker Island burns down. It is the world of Richard Branson as you know it, and it's, it's quite sort of affecting. You know, his writing style is it's, it's very transparent and unadorned. It's, 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 quite a, it's episodic snapshots rather than a grand, arcing narrative. The thing that really stands out is that This is the guy who was doing disruption before Uber. This is the guy who was looking at broken businesses or businesses that don't really deliver and thinking, how can we do this better from the point of view of, of customer service and actually treating you, the customer, like a human being? So it, it is actually a genuinely illuminating read and certainly uh, makes you think differently about uh, the, the, the ease with which he sets up businesses. He just seems to set them up on a whim and, and, and kind of say to the heart of what is making a bad business a bad one and how to make it into a good one. If he wants to invest in any podcast, we are available. Give us a shout. <laughs> so Richard, if you're out there, we, you are a Remain hero. So uh, kind of come and sh- show us some Remain love. So that's um, Finding My Virginity, the new autobiography by Sir Richard Branson, out now from Penguin Random House Audio and available to buy on Audible. Uh, it's the honour Audible Abridged version read by Steve West, and there is an abridged version read by Sir Richard himself out later in the year. So when we launch Romaniacs Atlantic Airlines and Romaniacs Trains, you'll know where we got all the ideas.
1: So finally we keep hearing about a transition period for maybe a couple of years after Britain leaves the EU, if it leaves the EU in March twenty nineteen. But what exactly does transition mean? Will we stay inside the customs union but leave the EU? Will the European Court of Justice still hold sway? Can we actually agree a transition while cabinet ministers keep undermining the Prime Minister? To help us out, Ian has put together your handy guide to transition. So if you're thinking of transitioning, listen closely to Ian. What is transition <laughs> so and what's likely to happen? <laughs> definitely just lost
3: half of the listening audience. The reason I wanted to talk about this was Theresa May stands up in the Commons the other day and is quite clearly trying to use language that means different things to refer to the one thing. And there's a very specific game that's being played there. And that's to talk very broadly so that everyone feels, and we've seen this for months and months now, so everyone can project whatever they wish was the case as if it were a real policy. Mm -hmm. So basically, I don't want to, you know, surprise any of you, but she's taking us for fools. So it's, yes, I know who would have thought. So it's worth just trying to delineate because there really are just five models for transition or five ways it could go and to have a very clear idea of, of what those are. The first one is different to the other four. And the first one is basically just extending Article 50. And it's different for one very specific reason, which is that you need unanimous agreement from everyone else around the table, from all the other 27 states. Any of them can veto an extension in Article 50. However, of course, that is the option that people, especially Remainers, would most like because you're fundamentally still in the EU. Unlike any of these other options, you don't even technically leave the EU in 2019. (laughs) Terrible, terrible EU shackles all around (laughs) us. Um, and, And that would be, you know, I think probably if we get up to the no deal cliff edge sort of as a realistic proposition in 2018, that is going to be where we sort of end up and saying, well, look, you've run out of time for anything else. Let's just extend article 50. And then questions like the ones being asked to Theresa may right now of is article 50 revocable, unilaterally revocable. It, seems to be the case that it probably is according to just about the majority of legal opinion but by no means all of it plenty of sensible people don't agree so that for a lot of remainers is really where they're aiming towards and what they think might take place the other four options are different the other four options you do leave the eu in march 2019 and they sort of increase in levels of sort of uh, complexity the first one is grandfathering and that's basically to say we will keep everything as it is even though we've left. So the legal status changes, but all of the practical things stay the same. That would mean that we still have access to all of the regulators. We would still come under European Court of Justice jurisdiction. We would still take on all new laws as we go and blah, blah. Now, that's basically what she's told the Europeans she's going to do. That was what was in the Florence speech when she made it. We keep all of the rules, all of the frameworks, all of that. That's as we go forward. That's what she told the Europeans, which is a very different thing to what she started telling our parliament the other day. Option number three is an EEA transition, which is basically to, you know, through EFTA, join the EEA. means you stay in the single market. However, there's problems here. First one is there's no customs union under this kind of arrangement. So all of those problems that the problems you see in Ireland, all of the problems you'd often get with tariffs. Those are still problems. You would still get a massive hit to your economy through this. However easier for goods to cross borders, and you'd be able to maintain your regulatory status as it was. Now, I think the time for this has now passed. This, to me, was the most sensible option by some distance, you know, right back. I mean, when I was first writing the book, I was kind of hoping that something would navigate us that way. I kind of think it's too late to arrange that kind of thing right now. I I think we've sort of run out of time for it, which is not even to start on how much we've run out of time for option number four, which is bespoke transition. And that's, you know, this is the idea that basically you'd be able to pick whatever bits and pieces of the European project you want for the transitional arrangement. This is very, very popular among Tory sort of backbenchers. In actual fact, it's it's sort of missing everything. I mean, basically what it envisages is what a final trade deal would look like in the best possible world in about 10 years time and applies it to a transition. That doesn't really get you very far. But nevertheless, it remains very popular in the Conservative Party. And then you have the fifth option which is the implementation transition. Now, this is now firmly into the world of Mickey Mouse nonsense. And yet, of course, this is exactly what Theresa May says she was trying to do when she was in the Commons, which is to say we're going to complete all of the negotiation, all of it. I mean, this is I mean by some distance the most complicated trade deal in the history of mankind because it goes well beyond what any other trade deal does. It goes into the level of regulatory harmonization. That's what the single market is. That's what it entails. And that's what they say they want for some areas of our economy. It suggests that we would finish all of that negotiation and then have a period of implementation where we would start implementing it. That's what she told the comments. Now, that option is completely, fundamentally, and absolutely impossible. Nevertheless, that was the message that she gave to the comments the other day. The message she's given to the Europeans is really the option number two of grandfathering. Where I think we're going to end up, unless we see some movement in this very, very soon, if we get past this point, if we're getting past sort of spring next year, looking at the cliff edge, where I think we're going to end up is that the only option left by that stage is extending Article 50 because there just won't be time for anything else. And that's why this period is so intense, so weird, because all of those compromise possibilities are fading away bit by bit, week by week as we don't reach them. And then you only get the much more extreme scenarios of cliff edge, or extension of Article 50, facing you by the time that you get, you know, three or four months past Christmas.
1: And of course, you say that spring next year, according to the governor of the Bank of England, that's kind of too late because um, he's arguing that really we haven't got a clear idea by Christmas, essentially, of what the transition is going to be. All of the financial institutions will have to start switching on their plans, you know, up to 75,000 jobs at risk. People say, and of course, you can say, oh, it's only a load of overpaid bankers. But the point is they will go and they'll take all their tax revenues with them, you know, billions of pounds of money that goes into the UK um, exchequer every year. And so I guess we'll already be seeing that damage. If, it's, if that point comes in spring next year where they have to say, all right, let's extend Article 50, we'll, we'll still be suffering a lot of damage by then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we'll look at the way that a- aviation works. I mean, aviation needs a 12 month sort
3: of lead in time. The kind of effects you'd get from no deal are just completely catastrophic from that. So, of course, in- domestically, you're going to get hit. I mean, in terms of what will the Europeans do? We have pretty much run out of options for all of those later models. The only thing we've really got increasingly is to say, look, we'll keep everything as it is, but lose our MEPs or we'll extend Article 50. And that's kind of the only viable options that we're looking at right now, no matter what the Prime Minister claims.
4: It's weird. Is the thing. I'm doing my best not to be optimistic, but I can't help feeling that (coughs) what there is to be won, we're winning. Do you know what I mean? What there is to be won, if there is anything left to be won, it's kind of going our way in that public opinion is shifting towards us, more and more people are finally acknowledging that this is not going to be a cakewalk. There is a reluctant acknowledgement from all quarters now about just how hard this is going to be. All the data that's coming out supports our cause. Wherever it's coming from, we suspect the data that isn't coming out supports our cause. And now... You know, we're, we're, it's, 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 you know, I mean, when the, when the vote came, I think there were people who thought we were going to be out by Monday morning. And, mm-hmm. then, and then they said, okay, but at least we'll invoke Article 50 right now, like Corbyn said to do, you know, and then they didn't invoke that for nine months and then okay so that means right no now means it's two years okay so that means right in two years yeah but then after the two years we'll need a two-year transition process (laughs) so it's it's, it's just like you know on the one hand they're moving the goalposts every time to try and make it look like this is still making a degree of sense but by the same token everything that's happening is backing us up Mm. and and like i say if there is still an argument to be won we are definitely winning it and this is why I'm not in the foetal position right now. You know, I'm, I'm feeling... I'm, I'm trying not to be optimistic, but it keeps creeping into my psyche. What can I tell you?
1: Well, if you listen out, there's a... You hear that? It's Michelle Barnier tapping on the studio window, telling us our time is up. So... <laughs> Many thanks to our special guest, Mitch Ben. Uh, have you started growing your own vegetables yet? Finally, uh,
4: no, but my uh, ex wifes allotment is, is 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 in is in roaring shape right now. So um, <laughs> I just have to stay on good terms with her and
1: might just actually have something to eat in two years' <laughs> time. <laughs> Mr. Grayling yeah. would be proud of you. <laughs> thanks as ever to Ian Dunt and to Ros Taylor, who I believe has a reason to be cheerful for us. Ros.
2: Yeah, I do. There's a new anti-Brexit party. I mean, it's terribly liberal metropolitan elite. Don't get me wrong. This isn't some sort of grassroots thing. Uh, the person who's kind of started it—I don't think he even realised he was doing it—is uh, called Jeremy Cliff. He works for the Economist in Berlin. So, frankly, that's I know, just him about <laughs> You do? Oh, I thought you might. Just about as elite as you can get in some ways. But uh, he sort of said, "Let's start a party" last night on Twitter, and I think, as far as I know, about two thousand people have already saw, uh, emailed him saying, "Yes, I want to join too." And it's a bit—you uh, know—he wants. To he wants to join the EU army, an EU army. Yeah, he wants uh, to put Ken Clark in charge of the uh, to make to make him commissioner. Um, that that sort of thing. He wants to abolish Fat. It's it's quite it's quite out there. But I'm just pleased because it's just all momentum.
3: I, I don't want to pop your reason to be happy. I'm sorry to oh. do this, but about 20 minutes before we started recording, he quit as the leader <laughs> of his party. That just started <laughs> oh, there and I'm so sorry.
4: They were them, he was going
3: to call them the radicals, wasn't he? <laughs> it wasn't
2: called, the, I don't them.
3: think he's put it out to some kind of council yeah. he's going to have to figure out a thing but uh, yes. Well we I don't want a a journalist to the journalist in charge
2: yeah. anyway. Look what happened <laughs> again. Yeah. Somebody else will do a better job. And is
4: this one posting <laughs> naked selfies of himself because that was what happened last time. But, um, <laughs> but this is the point yeah. in the podcast where our producer starts making a
1: symbol of cutting off someone's head <laughs> <laughs> because they're going to cut all of this for libel. Yeah. So, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh, so let's as oh, ever gosh. finish with shout outs <laughs> to our lovely Patreon backers as we play out with Demon is a Monster which is our equally lovely theme tune by Call shop. If you want a shout-out yourself, plus a chance to get your hands on our Romaniacs mugs, bags and t-shirts, then visit our Patreon page, which you can get to via our website, Romaniacs.com. Before the shout-outs, here's our weekly sign-off in an EU-language, this week in Swedish from listener and guitarist with Britpop stars Echo Belly, Glenn Johansson.
0: We'll see you next week. Um better statsminister kan you en
4: I just want to say thank you very much to uh, Lee Palatero, Hugh Pierce, Rob Townsend, Sean Shillings, Claire Palmer, and John Sands. Tim Boothman, Claude Dyson-Bird, Lee Pickerman, uh Stuart Holroyd. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And it's thanks from me to Alison Qualley, James Ryder, Andrew Marchetti, Chiara Minett, Elwyn Morgan, Duncan Coburn, Carol Taylor, Alex England, Claire Hart and Daniel Watts.
3: And thank you from me to uh, Robert Masella, Peter Newton, Richard Tock, David Atherton Christopher Turner Dan Alexander I can't speak human words Richie Latham Alexander Mayer David Horton and
1: Ayla Hashemzadeh And finally from me many thanks from The Numeral Two uh, who is not a number a real person Stephen Hershorn, Dermot O'Riordan Mark Bartram The Mysterious Chris Andrew Bethel Peter Brett John Curl Mike Ward and Paul Metcalf If we haven't read out your name yet you'll have to tune in next week but you are going to do that anyway weren't you Auf Wiedersehen
0: Romaniacs was presented by Roz Taylor, Ian Dunton, and Peter Collins, the producer with me, Matt Hall, and Andrew Harrison.